I uh, have in my um, dresser where I keep all my stuff, I have three cards from Fandango that I got as Christmas presents um, in Christmas of 2018. Uh, now I could go and watch a movie and spend them, but I haven't found a movie that I want to spend them on. There's movies, I've, I've noticed, like, I, I can't quite justify going to, you know, this was a good Christmas gift and, uh, and uh, just no movie seems to be good enough to justify going out anymore. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Um, but movies have gotten pretty predictable. Um, if you, if you, there's not a whole lot of ideas, and it, it's not just observable in the fact of how many remakes and comic book movies there are. But um, if you if you watch distantly, you will notice a few common themes. You know, just just kind of step back from the movies you watch, and you notice that they're they're pretty much follow the same line, right? I mean, there's there's like you know five or ten movies, and they 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 change actors, and and some of the screenplay is different, and uh, but, but they're all pretty similar, right? Rags to riches. I mean, everybody's got a rags to riches movie, and this person overcomes this, or something like that. That's like a significant percentage of your movies, right? Um, or undersized misfit sports team trains for a week and beats the best team in town or the state, right? That thing has been done to death. Um, someone invented something, it got sold by an arms dealer, and it is now going to destroy the world. That's every superhero movie. <laughs> How about this one? There's a big family problem, and it's solved when dumb dad realizes that his teenage daughter is like totally right about like everything. Right? That is a significant number of movies. And you notice these, these plot lines, they, they, they go... And, and, and it's just, everybody's done this. It's like, would you please just realize that everybody has already done this. You're not going to do this better than anybody else did it. Um, and, and so we are going to, I, I, I use that to, to bring us up to um, Daniel chapter 4. And we are going to notice a recurring theme. Daniel does it, uh, but since it's a true event, uh, it, it's going to... If you're waiting for the first story to unfold, it's not going to be the same story. But it's, it begins with a similar plot line. Uh, we're going to go through this in two sections um, this week and next week, much like we've been doing. Uh, <clears throat> but Daniel chapter 4 is what we're going to be starting at, uh, verse 1, and we'll be reading through verse 18. I'm not sure if this is supposed to be on or if I'm supposed to press a button. Is that... Is this supposed to be on up here? Because I'm going to be going back here. I don't know anything about this because that would be technology. Um, but Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, he's writing this. Nebuchadnezzar the king writes this. And he's writing this actually after all of this event has happened. So this is not like he's writing this down like in a journal. He's, he's reflecting. Um, okay, I told you there was technology. Um, and I didn't know how to work that. So, uh, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs, and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Now we get to the good stuff. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house. And I was flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. And therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they didn't make known to me what it meant. But finally, Daniel came in before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God, and I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the vision in my dreams that I have seen and its interpretation. And these were the visions of my head while I was on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great, and the tree grew and became great and strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth, and its leaves were lovely. Its fruit was abundant, <clears throat> and it was food for all. The, food, the beasts of the field around had uh, found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt on its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while I was on, on my bed, and the, there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and he cried aloud and said this, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter the fruit, and let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, the stump, leave the stump and the root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let them graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth, and let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. <coughs> and let seven times pass over him. And this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in all the kingdom of men. <coughs> Give to it whomever he will, and sets over the lowest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. <coughs> now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. And I do apologize. <coughs> this week, uh, we're going to be talking about maturity. Now, as you see, the plot is a little bit similar. Here's this dream. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And once again, he needs somebody to figure it out for him. Um, and so that's the, we're working a little bit from the premise that we, we started last week, that, that, <coughs> that Nebuchadnezzar has been on an upward trajectory towards God. And as I said, this, this takes place, this writing is his conclusions after all of this, uh, and so it doesn't represent really what he's thinking at the time. And we're going to notice that a little bit as we go through this, that he's still kind of getting there during this process. And then, and then after this all shakes out, then he's going to write his conclusions. Um, he does kind of understand Daniel's better. Um, we talked about being better, accepting what is better before you accept what is theirs only. Um, he shows some weaknesses that we're going to look at. Uh, but he does show this process of growth, this process of maturity. And that begins with this, this idea that inclinations don't change. 
We see his dependency in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. We read it. He says, I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they would make known to me the interpretation of the dream, the magicians, and all those others. Bring them in. Uh, but they couldn't. Um, so, so you notice that his inclination is the same. We, we trust what we know. And, and, and this is what he's been raised with, uh, that these people are supposed to be able to, to tell him the dream, just like before. And you think, well, they couldn't do it before. Why are you going back to them again? Because this is what we do as humans. We trust what we've always done. We've always done it this way. And so he goes back. His first inclination is to go back to these, um, uh, his first impulse, I guess, if you will, um, go back to what I know. Even if we do this all the time, we'll see somebody else does something a different way and it works for them. And uh, you would think, hey, this way works. And, and yet, whether it be a business principle or something, people, well, yeah, but we used to do it this way. And it works, uh, I thought. Uh, well, it didn't always work. This way works better. Yeah, but I know this and I'm familiar with this. And so we, are, we, we tend to stick with our first impulse, much like, much like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the second thing here, Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, Daniel came in before me, who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream. Uh, so maturity is this battle uh, between this, what we know and what we feel. Right? And, and it, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is in the midst of this battle between <coughs> gods in his own heart. Um, he's still wrestling with... He hasn't. He he recognizes God as the most holy God. He's kind of in that area where he's, you're better than the other ones, but he's not really to the. He's the only one. Jehovah is gaining ground, and and this is seen in how he refers to Daniel. We're going to see it this week, and and we see it next week uh, as well. You notice how he refers to Daniel. <coughs> Uh, so, so Daniel, I mean Belteshazzar, and he's going to keep on doing this. Like, like he has to keep on, his, his inclination, you see, Daniel, we, we began way back at the beginning. Daniel stays true to his identity, and you can see that. Because Daniel doesn't, uh, I don't answer to Belteshazzar, I'm Daniel. And you can see that this is years later now. And, and, and that's starting to work into Nebuchadnezzar and how he responds Oh, Belteshazzar. Oh, yeah. I, I call you Belteshazzar, like my, according to my God. Uh, so, Daniel, I mean Belteshazzar. Uh, and you see this, it's, it's influencing. It's, there's this process of maturity. And because, because Daniel has stayed true to himself and understood who he is, it's just working in. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time, and it's going to take some pain as well. We'll get to that next week. But what we've been raised to value tends to stick with us, and we don't notice the slow changes sometimes. And because we don't notice it in ourselves, sometimes we don't recognize it in other people. And we, 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 in our interactions, which is what this is about, right? how we interact with the world around us, we sometimes don't realize the little things that we are affecting in other people. We don't recognize the maturity. 
And, and we don't, right, we see, oh, man, I've been trying to explain to them or I've been trying to show them and they seem to get it and then they, where did they, they're off again. And we don't notice the little maturity here and there. Well, the second thing I want to talk about here under our inclinations is our familiarity. And this is why, um, this is why people still run to those things. They are familiar. It is a strange thing that we rely on methods that have proven themselves inadequate, but we do. We, we can look at Nebuchadnezzar and go, what a dummy. But we do it too. And the people around us do. Well, we recognize it in the others. We're really good at that. Um, and we're really, really good when the Bible really lays out nice and neatly for us other people who've done this. We're really good at criticizing those people who lived, you know, 3,000 years ago. I'm not so good at recognizing it in myself. But um, there are some bad church plot lines, right? There's some bad church plots. Um, we have a, a, a couple of church plots that we repeat because we think that they work. Um, we haven't tried necessarily this one here, uh, but we've probably tried something like it. Or we've watched people try it. This is called the shiny object. The shiny object this is how interactions with the world around us are going to work, by giving them a shiny object to, to attract to. If I spend more money, or, or if the church spends more money or gives a flashier thing, then, uh, then people will be drawn to it. Well, there was a movie. It was fiction. You know, if they build it, uh, they'll come. If we have a big building project, if we do this, people will come. But that's never what God said. The, the, look at the church at the beginning. They didn't own property at all. Nice or otherwise. And people were drawn to something. Something of substance. And we have this plot line. If, if we have something. And I, and I know we're getting ready. I'm not criticizing our, or putting down our building project. If you outgrow something. Or if you have to do something. Then, then it's necessary. But if you think... That, we're getting ready, and, and there's this temptation. We're getting ready to do a building project, and it is going to make, I mean, just people are going to flood in. If that's what you're waiting for, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Do not hold your breath. Even worthwhile things can be abused. When we put the emphasis on it, and, it, and, and when we start thinking, well, this this is the way we've always done it. This is what, what churches all throughout the 80s did in the 70s. Yes, and look at how many of them have declared bankruptcy and had to go out of existence and sell off everything. Because they were waiting for a building project or, or fluorescent lights or whatever the thing was to, to, to make the church grow. Uh, here's, here's another one. Smooth worship. Yeah, has nothing to do with the worship. But we, we like to present a smooth gospel. I'm going to present the smooth, the sweet saxophone gospel. I'm going to talk about, we, what do we emphasize when we talk to the world? Grace, smooth, that's smooth. Faith and love. And, and those are things that are so important. Those things are part of the bedrock of, of what we believe. But but we're just going to present the saxophone gospel. We're not going to present any of the, the harder stuff. 
If people, if, well, you can look in the world around us. Uh, if, if we talk nice to bad guys, they'll like us. No, well, that seldom works. It doesn't work in foreign policy, and it doesn't work in, in evangelism. I'm sorry. We have to be prepared to give people bad news before they're going to want good news. That's just the way it is. We are tempted to, to avoid the topics that make us uncomfortable. And the world around us, look at the world around us and look at any website and just any church. This is the way they present the sweet saxophone gospel. And it, it's an old trope. It's a bad plot line. So, <clears throat> understand our inclinations. We need to, if we're going to mature... And if we're going to develop maturity in the people around us, we need to temper our emotions. Um, we notice several things and several changes in Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and, and we just stay right in the same verses, and, and we can notice this. First of all, you notice his demands change. The first time this happened, what did he do? Tell me what I dreamt, then tell me. He raised the bar. You notice he doesn't do that this time? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't say, uh, he just says, okay, come in here, i got a dream. Now maybe he just f figured, you know, these guys haven't done it before, so I've got to set the bar pretty low for these guys. I don't know. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't expect it of Daniel either. Daniel walks in, he just tells him the dream. Let's, let's get to it. Maybe he was just more uh, in a rush or more hasty. I don't know what the, the thought process, but I know that there's, this, there's some kind of maturity. He doesn't have quite the same demands. And as time goes on and as we, as we age, as we, um, as we understand more about life, our demands and our principles, my principles, and, and the, the crazy demands we had when we were younger, uh, we temper those because we're tempering our emotions. And that's a lot of what, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing this. And I think, again, a lot of this is the, the, the process of his interactions with Daniel. And so, so they don't have to, to beg, oh, please just tell us the dream. Uh, and also, I want you to notice his demeanor. Uh, you notice that um, they don't beg for their life either. You notice the guys, they just kind of... Uh, Something has happened between point A and point B. And it, it, it's not really stated, but you can see it in this interaction. If we, if we step back and, and look at this interaction between these two people, or these groups of people, they're not begging for their life. His demeanor has changed. They can't answer the, okay, whatever, leave. No, 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 heat up the furnace. I didn't get my way. Let's kill them all. Let's make their ashes burn down their house and, you know... Kick the cat and everything else. Let's, let's really get these people. There's none of that. I mean, he's probably unhappy. You notice in here that they don't even try to lie to him and, and flatter him with something. He gives them the dream. This is what used to happen. They, he used to give them the dream and they would lie. Because they were afraid. For, and they just thought, oh, we can't. Okay. Well, I'll get Daniel. Last resort, I'll get Daniel. So his, his demeanor has changed. There's some maturity there. 
often people make changes before they accept what you believe. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but uh, people will respond and, and people will start making changes. They might start accepting some of the life application that you suggest, even though they might not accept the, the source of it all. Uh, oh yeah, that kind of works. And, and their life kind of goes along a little bit better or, you know, or, or at least they seem to be able to deal with it better. And, and they might accept some of that before they go, you know what, I understand where they get this all from and why they do this and I'm just, I just love that so much and I want to just, please, can you baptize me tomorrow? Right? Before they get to that point, they're going to start to be influenced emotionally uh, by observing us. And this is a lot of our interactions and and how that is important. Uh, Influence is incremental, in other words. Uh, They will start to feel a conscience. You ever notice that people start to feel a conscience around you? Uh, When you are public about the way you do things, Um, they don't talk the same way. Some people are hardened and they don't care. But you will notice, uh, I I think if if you're careful, people will start to moderate themselves. Oh, that person's... You have to take the victories where they come. And that is by observing some of the maturity that people will develop when we are public about who we are and the God we serve. Uh, the last thing about maturity that we're going to talk about is clarity. In Daniel 4.9, he says, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw uh, and, I, and their interpretation. He demands. Wait a minute. I thought you said he didn't demand. For, uh, I want you to understand that there's confidence in the man. For decades he's observed Daniel. We have to understand that there are decades now of, of, of this is towards the end of, not exactly sure again, but this is more towards the end of his 40-year reign. Uh, probably three, at least three-fourths of the way through this. He's observed Daniel. He knows Daniel. He's starting to call Daniel, Daniel. Right? He, he's been influenced. And I think this isn't so much the, the demand as this is confidence that... All right, Daniel, just tell me it. Like, I got these other guys. You know that they never do anything I want. They're, they're completely inadequate. Just tell me the dream. Let's get to it. What does this mean? He has a confidence in the man. This is maturity or a part of maturity. He's not all the way there yet. There is no doubt in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, Daniel understands things. Nothing's too difficult for you, he says. I know. Now, Daniel, I'm sure the whole time has been trying to tell him, listen, and, and, and he did it. With, I don't have the answers. It is God that has the answers. I, I, I'm sure that was like a broken record. We all have people, you know, that, that older people that you remember, and they had a phrase, and they always use this phrase. Right? Um, I'm sure this is one of those phrases that Daniel has always used around Nebuchadnezzar. Neb- I, 
don't have the answers. God has the answers. But people will draw a connection to you before they draw a connection to the source of the answer. Let me give you an example. Sorry, Benjamin. I apologize to my son in advance. We moved over to Ukraine and had a one-year-old child. Um, uh, we were trying, we were in the process of teaching him because meeting in a little living room, things get distracted pretty quickly. And you know, there's a, there's a little, little baby, right? We have a little baby. And, uh, and he wasn't a little baby, but he was a toddler. And uh, you know, up until about you know, five years old, they're cute. And they lose their cuteness. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, by then you've got another one that's cute. So, um, so they get replaced. And, and in a small setting, you get all these grandmas. Oh, man. Grandmas are goo-goo-gaga over a little baby. Theirs or otherwise. So, so we're trying to teach him and train him. No Sunday school in a, in a little living room. How to sit still. Well, one-year-olds, not always compliant with your requests. So we had ways of dealing that. A bedroom right off of the living room, very difficult to hear or to conceal sounds that come from the natural training process. And my wife got called a hooligan a number of times by the owner of this home, among others, who disapproved of our training methods. Flash forward. And, and she loved when anything Benjamin did was perfect. Our other kids were okay, but ben, because we went over there with only Ben. Benjamin was her favorite. Uh, they, they make no bones about favorites over there. I know over here we say, well, we don't have any favorites. They don't care about that. They have favorites. And, and Benjamin was her favorite. Everything he could do, no wrong. And, uh, and she would comment. Once we, we've got our church building... And he would sit there with the songbook. He didn't read Russian at the time. Or he would sit there with the Bible. And he'd sit there during church service. And he'd sit. And then she would just, he just sits there. And uh, actually, we're, there were about five years in the future at this point. And we'd say, Nina, do you know why? And she was not going to, she was not going to admit why. She thought it was because we were Americans. Like, we got special DNA here. Like, our kids just miraculously come out boop, and say, sit in the chair. Like, no, Nina, there's a reason. There's a point A to point B, and there's, there's all this thing. And so, well, did she just attach the significance to who we were? Well, it was kind of funny because right a few years, maybe a year or two before we left, there were some kids that didn't always sit so well. Nina had definite opinions about what those parents needed to do with their kids. It's like, where were you 11 years ago? You know, like, you should. Anyway, she got it, never attributed it. Like, where did you get that from? Right? It's a process. It takes time and you have to, oh, a lot, a lot of process. Maturity is a process. And, and we deal with people and we struggle. It's like, oh. And 
the advancements they will make first will be like Nebuchadnezzar. They will put confidence in the person long before they trust the source. They might give you too much credit, and he does. I know that no mystery is too difficult for you. Nebuchadnezzar, I've been saying this for 30 years. It's not me, it's God. Yeah, but I know you have the answers. And make the quick connection without understanding the source. But he's getting there. At least he's recognizing that it's not in these other guys. He's so unflatter, un, un, unimpressed by these guys, he's just like, all right, get out. I'm not even going to bother with you. I don't have much expectations. But there does come eventually, often, not always, a recognition of the source. As we say, Daniel has always been clear about that. And as you go through this and even look at the, the beginning of this, he's starting to, starting to connect it to God. <coughs> and even in this verse, he says, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Starting to make the connection to a source. Remember, this is written... The, the, the beginning of this passage where he is pretty much seems to be all in on God. That is written after. This whole thing is written after. This part is a quote from the conversation during the time, but, but afterwards, the kind of the postscript, the conclusion of the matter, where he's really seeming to get God finally. That comes after this whole thing. People, it, it, it's a process. It is, a, it is not a moment in time. And so he recognizes the source eventually. And we have to understand that a lot of times this involves a response to uncertainty. The beginning of this whole thing. Just, I, I just see him out on his patio by the pool. You know, he's sitting there drinking lemonade. I was at ease in my house. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Had the big people with the fan. I don't know what it was like, what he meant. And then I saw a dream. It disturbed me. Everything was going along fine until one day. That's essentially what he's saying. And so he's got another valley to go through. We've kind of seen that. Valleys, peaks, valleys, peaks. And when we go up and down, and this is maturity... You go through a valley and you come out and you hope you gain something from it and you hope you're better off when you come out of it than you were before. That's kind of this process up, up, up that we go through. It's not complete. That's kind of the point of this whole dream. You're kind of not there. You got one more big lesson to learn. Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. But life changes rapidly for people everything's going along fine and then one day something happens to the people that you are around you know this because it happens to you and so they are going to turn to the people who can answer the question what does this mean Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there what does this mean and, and, and though we don't get these crazy visions while we're sipping lemonade on our patios. At least I have never. People have events in their life and they go, what does it mean? Why? 
is this happening to me? I don't understand it. All the questions that we all have. Maturity is the response in uncertainty. If you've dedicated yourself to the principles, like, like, like Daniel has dedicated himself to these principles. Going back, these all, it's all been a string of, of ideas. It's not just a bunch of isolated things that we've been talking about. The people that are in your life that go through things might not confide in you every day. But if you've been a beacon of someone who attempts, not, not that shows perfection, but you show maturity, right? Because we're all on our own process. We're all at different levels. But if you show an attempt in your life, and if they are aware in your interactions that you attempt to live by certain principles, in those moments where they go, I've got no answers, they're going to look at the parade of people that they've brought into their lives prior to this that don't have the answers. The people at the bar don't have answers. Whatever those things are, they don't have the answers and they might turn to those things first because that's what they know and that's what they're familiar with. But when they're left with nothing, those are the moments where so often they will go, I am going to, as a last resort, turn to people that seem to have some answers and they might make the connection to you and this is the time for you to go, not me, God. And I've got some answers that might help you. That's where so much of this is important. And so we're going to conclude with one challenge that you can start today, tomorrow. I don't know when you interact with people regularly, but deposit regularly. I sat down uh, this week with, uh, or last week with a, with a financial guy. I'm really behind. I'm really, really behind. We spent 11 years, so I don't regret it, uh, but 11 years overseas on, on missionary salary not, doesn't do wonders for your investment portfolio. <laughs> so I'm way behind. I know that. And he just said, you know, you just start somewhere and you start and it's amazing. Uh, we, we've got inv- like little, I mean, little investments for the kids. And, and he's like the, the miracle of, of, uh, of compounding interest. Those kids, are ju- just how little they have over, over their life. If they just do a little bit, they're going to be so far off better than you are because I'm starting late. But the point is you deposit regularly. You start somewhere and you're going to end up better. And so we, my challenge to you is to Start making deposits with the people in your life where you're at. Make those deposits. Make those, those interactions valuable. Look for the opportunities. We always pray, God, give us an opportunity. No, that is the wrong prayer. Those opportunities are there. God, give me the wisdom to see the opportunities because they're already there. They are already there. Give me 
the courage to make the deposit. The little statement, a little kindness, a little something to build a relationship with. To start the process of, of that maturity in those who are around you, spiritual maturity. Where they will see something. Maybe they will not attribute it. Maybe they won't even accept it. But eventually, it builds up interest and eventually there's something to pull out of that. 